This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. They're coming to get you, Barbara. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Welcome to Flight so there i am with barbecue sauce all over my titties <laughs> oh hi guys welcome hi. welcome in <laughs> hi guys welcome to the carpenter queens podcast coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the tcq video store where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day i am employee of the month raymond hi everyone my favorite scary movie is bambi nicholas <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to this week's episode, guys. I'm very fitting for this episode. I love it. I know. I'm so <laughs> I am so hyped for this episode. I already know we're probably gonna get lost in the sauce of like the algorithms <laughs> because everyone is so hyped to do mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, I've been seeing everyone just like, are you ready for the holiday? Are you ready for the holiday? And <laughs> I'm ready for the holiday. Listeners, this week we're going to be talking about Scream 4 by Wes Craven. Mm, 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 mm. So excited. This is our first Craven. We've only touched on Carpenter. We haven't touched on Craven yet. <sighs> this is, we're, get, uh, we're getting our Craven cherry popped on the pod. Oh, yeah, mama. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm feeling very good about this episode just because there's a lot of good energy on it. It is our 10th episode. Ding, ding, ding. The 10th anniversary of this wonderful, very forgotten sequel. I mean, it's forgotten for some, cherished by even lesser some i don't I know. love that <laughs> i love that you're talking about that already because i i was talking about that with john i was like you know what scream 4 is like if you're not a, if you're just like a, a regular everyday person you think about the first scream that is the first one that you always think oh about. Yeah, yeah yeah if you're a regular horror movie like viewer like i'll watch i'll put them on during halloween time mm-hmm. you're, you're aware of the other three mainly like the second one and you know that the third one's bad no one ever really talks about the fourth one yeah and i mean we'll get into it um and i can kind of see why but i think for people like us who are super fans and love the entire series that uh, we were just excited to get another screen movie, regardless <laughs> of what it was. Because I remember watching this when it first came out and I was so excited, so pumped, loved every second of it. I watched it a million times, I own it. But then like watching it through this different lens, I could kind of, I could see its faults. And I was like, oh, I can see why this wasn't everybody's mm-hmm. cup of tea. Oh, wow. All of the complaints are completely valid about mm-hmm. this movie, but we're gonna dive in and talk about... Uh, so I have a... F- I, I feel like I need to say this podcast, yes, we do critique it within our own lens, but the main point of it is that we talk about movies that we like. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. That yeah. We, yeah We're that not going to we sit enjoy. here and talk about, you know, 
I don't want to shame any. I don't want to say a movie that somebody's gonna love. But we don't. <laughs> we're not gonna sit here and, and talk about movies that we don't like because that wouldn't be fun to us, and it would it would show. Yeah, it absolutely would show. So yeah, we're gonna put this movie through the ringer. But keep in mind, we own the entire series on Blu-ray and DVD, sometimes VHS. <laughs> I actually do have the. <laughs> I actually do have a VHS copy. I fucking told you, bitch. <laughs> Before we talk about Scream 4, we're going to start with our Slice News update. We have been getting so many trailers this week. Mm -hmm. It has been very exciting. Another one just dropped this morning. Okay, so we talked about Spiral last week. Mm -hmm. It Spiral from the Book of Saw. It's going to be directed by Darren Lynn Bousman. You saw it. What are your first feelings about it? I'm still not excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> this trailer did, did not change my opinion. I w- will probably watch it once they can stream it or rent it, whatever. But I, I'm I'm so done with the Saw series in honesty. Aww. Like it Man. it got so bad after part three. So bad after part three. It really did. And then I just I don't feel like we need another chapter in the Saw franchise. And that's just my opinion. I'm sure people love this shit. It's just not, I mean, I, I like the first three. I, that's all I'm gonna say. Do I look upset too? Well, we know how Raymond feels today. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, I came to. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let my opinions be known. I ain't come to play. I came to slay. Hey. You're right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. They totally ran that fucking series into the ground. I'm fully aware. You're not even just like the slight bis- bit interested to like, Mm-mm. I am. Mm-mm. I would be lying if I said that I wasn't. No. Okay, hear my case. Hear my case here. Okay. Hear my case. This is just hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, sound effects of a gavel. <laughs> Order in the court. <laughs> All right. So, list my client here, Spiral from the Book of Saw. Mm-hmm. The- we have two big actors that I feel like could bring something interesting to a very dead franchise. We've got Samuel L. Jackson and Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Chris Rock is out of left field for me personally. I don't know if other people can vouch for his filmography, but that's kind of exciting. I don't know what the fuck he's going to bring to this. I like the dynamic that they're inputting. I think the aesthetic kind of stays true to that early 2000s, like gross filter effect mm-hmm. that everything yeah. had <laughs> <laughs> almost like they uh, shot it like on you know like 16 millimeter they found from the 70s that was in an old vault <laughs> and then the exposure up to as high as they can possibly <laughs> get it yeah uh, so it feels like they're following it and trying to do their own thing i don't know i i know i'm not going to theaters to go see this but i'm definitely gonna you know peek my head around and be like oh what's this what's this girl doing today so i'm i'm apprehensively going in with a very low set of expectation. <laughs> that was the worst case ever. You would have not won that case before. I'm not convinced. I'm sure the audience is not convinced. Let us know, please. Are you all convinced with that weak ass fucking uh, That was dead and not sell me shit. All you did was mention who was in it. And the soundtrack looks like it might be interesting. Oh, fuck off. I'm probably believe- just gonna rip <laughs> off of the original soundtrack for part one. I hope not. I hope they really try just get if you're going to do something with it, do something with it. Elevate it. Do something about it. it exactly. Sis. Exactly. And for me, I did not get that from the trailer. I don't feel like they're I don't feel like they're bringing anything new. I don't feel like they're mm-hmm. elevating the story whatsoever. But hey, 
it's still very early in the stage and they could very much change my mind. I've I've bitten my tongue off quite a few times on other movies that I said I wasn't going to like and I ended up liking. So very true. Prove me wrong, bitch. Prove me wrong. But until then, <laughs> I will drag you. <laughs> the next trailer that we're going to be talking about is The Night House, directed by David Bruckner. Directed The Ritual in 2017 on Netflix. I don't know if you've caught it and I highly, highly suggest that you catch it. It caught me off guard and it the creature design at the very end still gives me nightmares i'm pretty sure you're the one who recommended it like quite some time ago and i still haven't watched it because i'm i'm horrible <laughs> at taking recommendations because i love to just rewatch shit i love sure. um but um i'm really excited for this so i will definitely definitely now go back and and re well not rewatch but watch his past filmography because this trailer for the night house looks intense it oh. looks like a psychedelic trip i love mm -hmm. i love like a good psychological thriller kind of horror movie so i'm all in already is it giving you what lies beneath but scarier it's, <laughs> it's giving me like what lies beneath mixed with shrooms like the actual movie shrooms but also uh, taking shrooms mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. i i think the premise is really interesting a uh, quick synopsis a widow begins to discover her recently deceased husband's disturbing secrets and among those secrets some strange duplicate mirrored house that he had been building and crazy stuff ensues and i'm down for anything i was listening to uh scary crit and they had mentioned there are no new ideas just new perspectives on ideas mm -hmm. and i feel like the night house is one of those new ones that it's a new perspective that's going to come forward and it's going to i'm excited for a new palette essentially is what i'm excited mm -hmm. for from a movie mm -hmm. that's a very valid point that, that there are no new ideas just new perspectives new takes on things elevating mm -hmm. stuff and that's exactly what we want from the stupid spiral series so i yeah, totally you're you're totally right <laughs> So I'm all here for this. Uh, what was it called? Dark House? The Night House. Night House. Excuse me. Um, I'm super excited. Roadhouse. through <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Swayze. So no, I, I'm excited for anything that gives going to give me a new aesthetic, a new vibe, a new feeling. Uh, please like change it up for me. And I, I can't wait to see what they're going to do forward. I am going in completely blind and I'm hoping I can continue going, uh, going as little information as i can get about this same no spoilers i hate we hate spoilers here on this podcast that is going to conclude our slice news update but this week we're going to be celebrating and talking about and critiquing and geeking over scream 4 from 2011 directed by wes craven and written by kevin williamson kind of <laughs> <laughs> Robert's residence. Welcome home, Sydney. You're a survivor, aren't you, Sydney? What good's it to be a survivor if everyone close to you is dead? You can't save them. All you can do is watch. <laughs> Modern audiences have become savvy to the rules of the originals. I mean, there are still rules, but the rules have changed. And the kill's gotta be, like, way more extreme. <laughs> The unexpected is the new cliche. And virgins can die now. <laughs> to be the new version, you know, 2.0, the killer should be filming the murders. That's yeah, a natural next step in psycho slasher innovation. 
Go ahead if you have the guts. Well, it's time for someone new to die. These aren't just random killings. There's something really scary about a guy with a knife who just... snaps. I hear you like horror movies. It's for you. Yeah, I mean, this was one for the geeks. Like, it was the the joining of the two original minds that brought you the original scream. So it was a big deal to the fans. It was a huge deal for the fans. Uh, let's break this mother down real quickly. Uh, so listeners, you can only stream this on AMC plus besides that you have to rent it or buy it. So we apologize, but before we continue going in for 20, what you smoking? Uh, currently still working on, my pretty little mason jars of flour we have in the cupboard that we get from well, our you plug. Just picked up, you just picked up how much yesterday? <laughs> uh, we picked up another two. <laughs> that, laugh, that laugh was everything. Because it's a lot. We picked up another two ounces um, from our plug last night. But that's only because um, you've been smoking a lot. Because why not? Girl, it's a panorama. That is, <laughs> you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do to get through exactly but i also um have been smoking on my pen a lot lately since i got new cartridges and i'm still working on that very delicious uh strawberry tart that i got from oh my god i forgot what the brand was live i was gonna call it where you used to work <laughs> ah, i'm bleeping that out i don't want them to find me <laughs> <laughs> anyways i forgot the name of the brand but it's good this week, uh, my sister and I decided to take a trip to Denver to go pick up, and we ended up stopping at Botanico. Shout out, hello, please. The store itself was gorgeous, Jackie. Uh, to go inside, the front door was an old school bank safe. So you <gasps> had to open that up in order to go inside. It Ooh. was cute. The store was adorable. It was really small, but I prefer that. Uh, yeah. And then... Uh, they had this gorgeous butterfly display along the walls. There were like these blue iridescent butterflies that they had just put to flow all along their back wall. It was Ooh. gorgeous. Yeah, I had a great we time. We love a, a shop with aesthetic. Oh my God, I'm queer, so a queer stoner. So you're telling me I can shop at a cute, aesthetically pleasing mm -hmm. uh, but, and get my marijuana at honestly not too bad prices. I was worried because they're a little bit more expensive than what I'm used to paying for. Mm -hmm. uh, but this week I smoked their cookies strain. It, it's a hybrid. <gasps> Delicioso to say the least. Uh, it's a sativa hybrid and it tastes like fresh fruit is the best way you can describe it. Ooh. So, so it tasted like fresh, good. like refreshing, like zesty almost. Yes. Um, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, when you're like, you're parched and dehydrated and you take a sip of like ass cold lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> you're... <laughs> Your southern accent, it borders British sometimes. Or, <laughs> I don't know what, but you need I to work am, on that. <laughs> this is why I didn't become an actor. You, you are, <laughs> oh, it's so blooming odd to stay away. It's my, it's my, it's my cockney. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awful. It sounds like a mashup of Valley meets Australian meets Scottish. <laughs> Moving Mo on. Moving on from Nick's tarnished brand. 
what a wonderful segue. Let's get into the breakdown. First things first, I'm the realist. Uh, so obviously directed by the infamous Wes Craven, written Kevin by the infamous by this point Kevin Williamson, mm-hmm. and of course rounding out our amazing cast, they're bringing back all the original cast. So Nev Campbell reprising her role as Sydney Motherfucking Prescott, Courtney Cox coming back as Gail Weathers. Oh, excuse me, Gail Weathers Riley now. Uh, David Arquette coming back as Dewey Riley. And then coming with our new fresh faces as the new cast and our new screen queens, if you will, are Emma Roberts as Jill Roberts, Hayden Panettiere as Kirby Reed. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> yes, our huge shout out. We'll get into that. I'm so uh, excited. Wari Culkin as Charlie Walker, Nico Tortorella as Trevor Sheldon, Allison Brie as Rebecca Walters, Marley Shelton as Deputy Judy Hicks, and Roger Jackson reprising his role as Ghostface, AKA The Voice. And on top of this, honestly, super stellar cast, we have special appearances or cameos by Lucy Hale, Shanine Grimes-Beach, Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell, Nancy O'Deal, Anthony Anderson, and Adam Brody. Mm. We also did tech. <laughs> we also did technically get a cameo from Wes Craven, but that scene unfortunately was deleted from the theatrical cut. I was about to say I don't remember that. Yeah, and this is Wes Craven's last film before he passed in 2015. Uh, rest in peace, Wes Craven. Yeah, one of the greats. But this was a huge, this is a huge deal because mm-hmm. if you were gonna make another screen movie, you can't, like, you have to bring back the original cast. You can't disregard the original movies. It would be irrelevant, especially since Scream is so reliant on this 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 trio of actors and mm-hmm. these two honchos of directing and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it still is, I want to say, one of the only film franchises to include the same director and same core of actors to come back for every single film. Of course, unfortunately, Wes Craven will not be with us for Scream 5. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm... I'm apprehensive, but curious to see, like, how that's going to play out. I am too. I'm, I'm, I have, ooh, words. I have the support for the directors that are coming through for Scream 5. I think from what they've done so far, I enjoy their filmography. So I think we're in pretty good hands so far, but we'll know once we get that trailer. Mm -hmm. But I know they, I, I feel like the current, you know, writers, directors, and all the crew for Scream 5 know they have huge shoes to fill. So hopefully oh, yeah. they're moving with caution. Shoot, they better. They have a whole horror community with knives all glaring and sharpen them up, ready to go at a moment's oh, notice. Oh, bitch, we will go in. I will go off. <laughs> I will go off. Off. It's over. It's, it's over. over. Honey, you've got a big storm coming. Reviews. IMDb gave this film a 6.1 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 52 out of 100. AV Club gave it a passing grade of C. Jesus. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, a tomato meter score of 60% with an audience score of 55. So we have one of those rare moments where it's lesser than. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up making a 97.1 million at the box office against, I believe, a $40 million budget. Wow. So it did make back, but I'm sure not. it wasn't enough to continue on the new trilogy. Yeah, well, not yet, apparently. Oh, I know. 
This film was released on April 11th, 2001, technically at the Chinese theater in Hollywood, but it's wide release, which is what we're celebrating, April 15th of 2011. So happy 10 years, hooray! We did it, we did it, Joe. How exciting, I, it's so it's so funny that all of our pods have been aligned with that. So yay, it's love continuing it. the trend. <laughs> Taglines for this movie. Um, there weren't really many. No, nope, <laughs> just one. And the one that they do have is actually really good, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the tagline is New Decade, New Rules. Simple, to the point. So the last time that we got a scream was 11 years ago. It was meant to be originally released in 2010, but we'll get to why that didn't happen in a little bit. Uh, but released in April. Do you remember where you were? What happened? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the hype around this? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, as a huge Scream fan, I was mm-hmm. excited for this. Uh, at the time, funny enough, I was in film school. I was, like, in the heart of it. Oh, I bet school. you were I was, like, so excited. Bitch, I was ecstatic, especially because I was going to school in Hollywood. We were so close to this theater. And I remember, like, obviously, it was a hot commodity at the time, so I couldn't, I couldn't get any tickets for the opening. But... Um, one of my friends and one of my classmates from school actually got tickets to the premiere. Like he went to Chinese theater and saw it. He, my friends in film school were always good about getting shit to premieres. Um, when I was, uh, when we were in school, we used to always go to those like free film screenings where they like just want your opinion on shit. So we got to see movies for free that hadn't come out yet. We used to do such a good shit when we were in film school. Um, but yeah, that's where I was. I remember I was in film school and I was super excited for it. This film I always associate with my high school experience because this came out a month before I graduated. So I was so fucking excited for this movie because by then I was really getting into horror, really getting down on, you know, your classics and then diving Mm -hmm. into I feel like when you're a horror fan, you kind of like cover all your bases to make sure that like, you know what it's about. And then that's when it starts like (laughs) developing into an obsession. (laughs) Essentially. (laughs) And uh, is when you start diving into like sub genres and what you like and like all those other things for both of us, uh, you can judge me all you want. And I'm sure it's probably an indication of my taste levels, but I was obsessed with the early 2000 remakes because that's what I had coming out at that time. Mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. I, I grew up on. So to have Scream, who, which was my favorite film because I believe you showed me for the first time Scream. Mm-hmm, I, I used to start you with it. Yes, you did. Cause you used to have the ghost face mask. Of course that, I did. <laughs> uh, that you used to chase me around the, the kitchen with because, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, you're an asshole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, bitch. You're welcome. Now we got a podcast dedicated to it. <laughs> got me there, bitch. But I was so hyped. I, I think the energy around this movie was really ecstatic. Everybody was so ready to see what was going to go on. At least I know I was and my friends and kids. Yeah, I mean, well, we obviously surround ourselves with people who are like-minded or, you know, enjoy the same things that we do. So, of course, everybody in our immediate circle was excited. Um, Funny enough, the people I went to film school with were not horror geeks at all. I think maybe I went to film school with two people that I talked to regularly that liked horror Mm -hmm. movies, and it was nowhere near as much as I did. Um, But anyways, beside the point, uh, yeah, it was really exciting for the horror community because it was bringing, bringing back the amazing duo of Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson, plus bringing back the cast. And it was like a whole 10 years later. So it's exciting. It was an exciting time. 
It was because at this time period, there's nothing really that sticks out for me, but that's just my recollection of time. That's that's probably because our memory is just so overfilled with nothing but Scream 4 that whole year. To be honest, you're completely <laughs> right. Uh, so for the film, I remember the cast, when the original three were announced, we knew it was going to be good. The biggest gripe with this movie is that this movie is... It's literally a repeat of Scream 1. Oh my God. Time and place. Just with newer essential yeah. graphics, with uh -huh. a new prettier face. And as much as, that, as much as that gets for this film, I still really enjoy what it's presenting. And I want that to be known because I do have nostalgia glasses on. I am very aware that I adore this movie. I This is one of the few ones I can just throw on and I'm just like, oh, I know I'm gonna, I, I know what to expect. Yeah, we're also very biased. Like mm -hmm. for us, Scream, we hold it on a very high pedestal. We, we have a nostalgia factor for it. Not only that, we enjoy the like self-referential meta aspect to it. Like that is our whole shtick. It's but like mm -hmm. if that's not apparent through this podcast, like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'm a little high and I forgot where I was going with that point. <laughs> um, our bias and I, the, the bias, I don't want it to like muddle this because I do recognize the pitfalls of this movie. I oh, recognize yeah. the, the, which we'll get into once we get down to the writing of this movie, the rewrites that unfortunately happened, the pickups <laughs> that happened with this movie. So it's choppy and there's a lot of things missing, but the parts of it that I thoroughly enjoy, I identify so much with, and it's part, it, you know, it's part of that DNA of yourself of being a horror fan. And this is one of those ones where it came out at a right time for me uh, at a time when I was really getting into film mm -hmm. and it, it, not to get all gushy, but like Scream always associates my childhood and my childhood is really associated with you so like mm. i really like scream because i really like my uncle and he's fun to hang out with Aww. so like i was super excited because i knew this is what we're, we're going to talk about this we're going to talk yeah about <laughs> so oh, i was very excited yeah so i was really excited to do this episode because there's a lot to talk about yeah there's a lot like obviously like you said like we hold this movie in this entire series mm -hmm. near and dear to our hearts but like we said we know it's not without its faults. Like this is by no means a perfect movie. And like you said, this is essentially just a remake of the yeah. first one. I realize that now watching it through a different lens and after seeing it so many times and trying to just dissect it as a film rather than just my one of my favorite movies. And I was watching, I was like, wow, this really is just a remake of part one with newer people and some twists and turns. Like there's, they mm -hmm. definitely brought some more to the table than just remaking the first one. But a, a good chunk of it is just a remake of Scream 1. Which is so meta for Scream. Like, I know yeah. that's the point. That yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the meta point talking about remakes. We're doing the first film in a new way. Mm -hmm. So I totally see that. And it works for me. Um, so I'm excited. So we're going to talk about the script first. And it has to be stated. Because Kevin Williamson is famously an out writer and that is very important for us because i feel like the script itself from the very beginning in its dna has that queerness to it the quips the very strong independent female characters uh -huh. the way that they interact the way that they speak it, the, mm -hmm. okay so if you're not queer <laughs> the way that queer people speak to each other kind of it's the cadence and the way that we are comfortable with each other that we do digs Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what his scripts kind of feel like to me. They, they're fast. 
or what the children like to call reading mama. <laughs> but that's a whole different lesson in itself. But I agree. Like <laughs> Kevin Williams's queerness, while it's not very like in your face and apparent in the script and in his work, or at least not this one in particular, um, it is like you can see it. Like like you said, those quick quips, those comebacks, these little jokes and side jabs, and the, like little wink wink nudges, nudge nudge. It's all very pertinent in his script, and that's part of the reason why we love the series so much. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate. So the film was originally announced by the Weinstein Company. Boo! That also has to be stated. Yeah. He, I'm. It is very unfortunate to what happened. It, hold on. Let me rephrase that. We are aware of the Weinstein debacle and we do not support them, period. By any means. Period. Like, yeah, it's unfortunate that that they have produced so many films, like so, like across the board, not just horror, mm-hmm. across the board that we, that you and I both hold near and dear to our hearts. So but multiple some... people as well. It, the, the, so it's very difficult and we just want to address and be aware of the unfortunate circumstance and what is surrounded by the Weinsteins themselves. So we're going to try and separate the two and just associate Mm -hmm. what this production is. And they're still fucking shitty, horrible people because of them. A lot of the mess ups in this movie (laughs) happened. Yeah. So we're going to try and separate the art from that garbage person. (laughs) Absolute garbage. Moving on. Uh, so it was originally announced in July 2008. Craven stated he'd only return if the script were as good as the original Scream. That's kind of asking for a lot there, Craven. Right. But, by March, <laughs> but by March of 2010, it was confirmed that he would come back to direct. Which was a huge win. Like, Oh, absolutely. You can't, I mean, you like in order to bring it back and to make it a Scream film, you have mm-hmm. to have Craven on board, I feel like. If you want to oh, bring it yeah. back and you want to go hard, bitch, you need the you need the OG, and that's what's absolutely, Craven. absolutely the Titan that is that is Craven. Mm-hmm. It would be ridiculous, and I have a feeling the actors. Well, now they came back, but I, f- I have a feeling it would have been incredibly difficult for any of them to say yes if Craven didn't come back. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, could you imagine? <laughs> uh, but the script in usual scream fashion uh, went through multiple iterations uh, especially towards the ending a lot of things were chunked and changed but in early drafts drafts of the script Gail and Dewey were originally supposed to have a baby because I mean I mean that now yeah well isn't that what all straight people do (laughs) (laughs) moving on but it was changed after it was decided that quote bringing a baby into the film would make shooting impossible which you're not wrong. I mean, that is a hundred percent correct, which is why most of the time you see in movies, they're always using fake babies because one, they're very like American sniper. Yes. <laughs> because one, they're very expensive to hire. So it's crazy that they're really expensive to hire babies to use on film sets because they can only work. I remember this from film school. They're only allowed to work like two hours total on set. And you have to have like uh, DPCA there. Uh, to make sure that they're like everything's going well and the child is me it's a whole it's a whole debacle so i can 100 see why they would be like no we got to cut the baby out it's gonna fuck mm-hmm. with it's gonna fuck with the shooting schedule it's gonna cost too much no nix that baby but i feel like it would also complicate the story because screams never really had 
kids ever, ever, which is also probably why we like this. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking that I'm like, that's probably why we like this movie so much. There's never, there's never been a child anywhere yeah. not that I can recall. It would complicate things. It would add, it would throw more heightenedness that would be difficult to move around once you have a child involved into like yeah. the dynamic of two characters. So I'm glad that they nixed it. But uh, in another early f- in another early form, the opening scene was meant to have Sydney fighting Ghostface and be left for dead. It would uh, eventually lead into the film going into like a two year gap into the story while she was recovering. And this was changed because after Bob Weinstein feared it would slow down the pace of the story, thus he pushed for younger characters to be involved in the script, which I kind of also feel would slow down and be a completely Mm -hmm. different movie. That's another smart move, I believe, Um, because that I agree 100%. That would have totally stalled the story. Mm -hmm. It would have put Sydney and and the original cast on the back burner. It just, it would have been weird. And I feel like them mixing like this new fresh cast with the original cast was a really nice mix. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, not all of the new cast brought brought it or brought anything fresh or new. Are you talking about the boyfriend? Yeah, the boyfriend <laughs> and mainly just the boyfriend, Nico Tortorella. Mainly just the boyfriend. Don't get me Sorry, wrong, gal. he's cute. He's a great person. I keep you know, but uh, no, it, it, it's kind of terrible in the movie. The know-nothing character. But no, I agree. I I also think that it would have changed the directory of Sydney's character because I love her arc in just film history. Like her mm-hmm. filmography alone is my, it's my favorite character arc on film. So that's why I enjoyed this one so much because of course she would write a book. Of course she's <laughs> used, she's the survivor and she's going forward. Uh-huh. And I feel like if she was attacked early on, it would have totally changed the flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't, you can't pull a Drew, uh, you can't pull a Drew Barrymore again. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. You can't do that. You can't do that. You just you can't. can't. No, he cannot blow you up like that. He's such a little skis. But moving on to casting, uh, Ashley Green was offered the role of Jill. But the role later went to Emma Roberts, which, who's Ashley Green? I think she was on like One Tree Hill or something. That's so upsetting. Uh, is that a CW show? Good for Emma Roberts. Apparently in like the behind the scenes stuff, she almost didn't go to the audition and almost chickened out from doing it. Um, I can't see anyone else playing that role because anyone else, could, I guess so we'll drop the ball now. Was anyone else gooped and gagged when the reveal was revealed? And she took off her wig and she's like, surprise, Sydney. No, I was gooped and gagged at the time. I kind of disagree when you say that nobody else could have played the role. Because I think somebody else could have played the role. Don't get me wrong. I think. Do you have like a dream casting? Like who would you pick? No, I re- honestly really haven't thought about it until you brought it up now. I was like, no, like Emma Roberts is an okay actress. I think somebody else could have pulled it off as well, if not done better. I can see that. I think. Also, we might be coming from two different generations because I'm younger. Uh, I can't associate see right now, but I'm rolling my eyes so hard they're about to fall out of my fucking skull. <laughs> anyway, Grandma. So Emma Roberts. <laughs> At that age, I had associated Emma Roberts with like Nickelodeon and like the Good Girl image and her being like a child star. So her being in that role, I never suspected her to be any sort of anything else. So I thought it was smart. Yeah, this was a her like Jessica Biel cover of Maxim moment. She was like, I'm not a good girl anymore. I'm a bad girl. 
No, that's American Horror Story a few years I later. do horror movies. Oh, my God. She does so good in American Horror Story. And uh, Mean Girls. No, Mean Girls. Woo! Slip of the tongue. We are going to pretend we didn't hear that. Uh, but moving on, uh, Lauren Graham was intended to play Jill's mother. She even made an announcement on the Jay Leno show. But two weeks after announcing, she dropped out due to script rewrites. There had to have been a lot of rewrites in order for her to drop out. Like I can't that. wait for us to talk about it. Yeah, I, Lauren Graham would have been, she would have brought something interesting to the cast. Cause she's yeah, she really sarcastic fast. and funny. Yeah, and she talks really fast. So I'm obviously a Gilmore Girls stan, so I would have lived. Of course you are. The roles of Chloe and Rachel in the beginning, who were played by Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell, but they were originally written for Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan. And I would have, I would have loved to seen that. I don't think it would have been good, but yeah. I would have loved to see that. I would have loved to see it too. And I know who killed me. They're both so awful. I don't know that I've seen I know who killed me. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> you realize you were you wrote Parish Hilton in the notes. Okay, you know what? <laughs> I smoke before I write these, so how and dare it shows. you call me out on this program? <laughs> Fuck off! You called me out in the last episode for making me play radio. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, it would have been pretty gag worthy. I'm not gonna lie to see Paris Hilton and you know Lindsay Lohan have a knife fight, but. Oh, but you want to really fight. Um, I think Kristen Bell and Anna Bitch, Packard. we're going to go to the baseball field at night, and we're going to have ourselves a good old-fashioned knife fight. Knife fight, yes! <laughs> but uh, like I said, like Anna Paquin and, and Kristen Bell killed it. I loved... Oh, I loved it. I loved their moment, especially when... Because you don't... What did she say? Because you don't... You, you talk too there much. You go. <laughs> uh so we're going to talk about the dreaded rewrites, which is, in my opinion, the Achilles heel, the thing that kind of tumbled this story down. Sound effects when you say, the dreaded rewrites. Rewrites, rewrites, rewrites. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Kevin Williamson did write the original story and a good, the script. However, they had repeated clashes with the Weinsteins. Who fucking didn't, apparently, right? Resulting in them once again hiring Aaron Kruger to do rewrites, who famously wrote Scream 3. Why would you bring in one of the writers from Scream 3 to do Scream 4? They were desperate, bitch. They were grasping at straws, apparently. Oh, my God. While they were shooting. And you know it was a hot poo-poo mess if the oh, actresses yeah. were dropping out because there were so many rewrites. And oh, <laughs> you know it was a poo-poo mess. And it's so funny because all I could think of is uh, Scream 3. Has there been another goddamn rewrite? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this was a horrible choice. Like, why would you bring a writer who wrote through least favorite from the series to come in on the new series? What? I don't know. Strike one. Strike two. Of course, this annoyed and didn't sit right with Williamson. No, it wouldn't sit right with anyone who was supposed to have their script written. But while all of this was happening, they would hire an additional writer, Paul Harris Boardman, for more rewrites. And that it's shown in the script just because it feels like things were placed here, things were chopped here. We didn't feel to intend to go here. And it's not an overkill by any means, but it feels like it could have been cleaner. 100 percent mm-hmm. it it got muddled and like, mm-hmm. it's just like the like it, there's sayings for a reason like, there's too many chefs in the kitchen mm-hmm. you can't have 
three writers in there and they're all gonna want their two cents and they're all gonna want their shit to make into the film. It doesn't work that way. It's, I feel like you could have multiple writers if you all joined in at the same time. Having multiple writers from trying to fix someone else's original story is a different story. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Pixar has like 10 writers per fucking movie. And they still make this cry every single fucking movie. Oh my God, bing bong. (laughs) (laughs) You're still traumatized from that. Who's your friend who likes to play? (laughs) Even through all of this, Craven has stated, quote, look, there was a bumpy period when things shifted over from Kevin to Aaron, and I signed up to do a script by Kevin. And unfortunately, that didn't go all the way through the shooting. But it certainly is Kevin's script and concept and characters and themes, end quote. So it's unfortunate what happens. Uh, This always happens to queer people or POCs just in general. Once we get our our foot in the door, somebody comes in who thinks they have a brighter idea and just... Slash that thing, especially coming from the Weinstein Company. So yeah. who knows if we would have gotten a stronger script? Who knows if we could have gotten a sequel with that movie in mind? If anyone has a link to like the original script, send it my way. I am one hundred, like almost certain that if had they just like kept Williamson Williamson on board and went with him with notes and be like, hey, can we tweak mm-hmm. this? Can we tweak that? Like if they actually work with him, I know he would have been on board to. Oh yeah to, you know, tweak it or whatever. Like, I doubt he's that pig-headed. They would be like, no, like, this is what I want. This is what's happening. Because Scream I'm, is his baby. Like, that's what gave him his notoriety. That's what started his career. So, mm-hmm. like, I know he would have been willing to work with them, but knowing the wine scenes, I can only imagine how toxic that set was, so. Yeah. Uh, but moving for production, the production had... 40 million as originally stated the principal photography began on june 28th of 2010 so please keep that in mind it's very important uh filming was scheduled to end on september 6th but after 42 days of shooting they moved it because of the writing process over an additional two weeks to september to september 24th that's not a great sign it's definitely not a good way to start (laughs) production on a new film So filming took place in and around Ann Arbor, Michigan, and additional locations included Woodsboro High were shot at Woodworth, excuse me, Woodworth Middle School in Dearborn, Michigan, as well as the police station in Livonia, Michigan. Which is different from the original California location for Woodsboro, which kind of stinks and it doesn't feel like the original Woodsboro. I don't know if it's just me. No, it it wasn't enough to be like, oh, this is a completely different, you know, town. Mm -hmm. But it was enough that I was like, We've never seen this part of Woodsboro. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, for a movie that was essentially a remake of part one, you would expect to see the same locations. And that wasn't the case with Scream 4. It's not enough to, like, make me hate it, but it is enough that it's noticeable. No, yeah. No, I can definitely absolutely see that. Uh, So, at the table read, the cast were told to stop reading past a certain page, page 75, to prevent those already cast in the film from knowing the climax, which is kind of whatever, because they ended up shooting a new ending. (laughs) 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 So, 
Strike number two. After a test screening in January of 2011, a full year after all of this, and we're going to be premiering in a couple months, mm -hmm. Craven and Weinstein believe that certain scenes just did not play well to audiences. This cut, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, we were all supposed to get gorier sequences because there have been leaked photos and sequences that were shown. It's really apparent in the Olivia scene because do you remember when pictures were leaked and it, her intestines were all over the place? There was mm -hmm. a ridiculous amount of blood. So there was a lot that we were meant to have. So this never plays well. Anytime I hear a movie talking about test audiences, it mm -hmm. never works well. Well, because it's the same exact thing that happened with Scream 1. They mm -hmm. originally, Drew Barrymore was supposed to have this much gorier, much slower death, and they wanted that PG-13 rating so it, that way more people could see it. So they had to speed up that whole shot, that it cut certain things out. And I feel like that was the same case here, whether it was because of the test audience or because they wanted a different rating. Who's your test I, audience? That's the thank problem, you. Though, I was just with about to test say audiences. That. I was about to say, if you're going in for a test, because like usually when you go into a test screen, they don't tell you the title of the film, or at least not right away. And so they'll just say you're like, oh, it's a new horror movie coming out, or it's a new sci-fi movie coming out, it's whatever. And so, like, I remember I went to go see one uh, test screen for a horror movie, and it was called Birthday? happy Back. birthday or birthday cake or some shit it had to do with the birthday the weirdest fucking movie i've ever seen in my whole life <laughs> couldn't tell you what it was about it was like pov the entire time mm. and i it was fucking weird <laughs> i never saw it again like i don't think it ever got released um but that's what i'm saying like if you're a test audience and you know you're going in to see a horror movie why are you bitching about gore oh i know <clears throat> and so Test audiences, I feel like sometimes they work. Final Destination is a perfect example of that. Final Destination went through test audiences. And because of that, we got, in my opinion, a better version of Final Destination than we were originally supposed to do. Mm -hmm. However, it's I feel like it's always hit or miss because, because of these test audiences, uh, we got additional shoots in late January and early February of 2011. Two, two months before we're supposed to premiere, addition, uh, having to tack on four additional shooting days, this became the new cold opening, as well as strike, th not strike three, nah, strike three is my other three. So this is where we also get our new finale. The whole hospital finale scene was one of those additional scenes. We weren't supposed to end there. Originally, we were supposed to end with Jill being taken off to the ambulance and a police officer coming in and being like, oh my God, somebody's alive, but we didn't know who's alive. If it was going to be Kirby, if we didn't know if it was going to be Sydney, and rumor mill stated that Jill was going to be the new antagonist or anti-heroine <clears throat> in the next film, and it was also rumored that Sydney was going to have amnesia and not know that Jill was the killer. This. Yeah, so I'm kind of happy we didn't get that movie. Yeah, that sounds fucking <laughs> awful. Oh yeah, horrible. Uh, I, I can't believe they tacked on four extra days, months months before it's released. You know how yep. risky that is? That is fucking risky. Down to the wire. Because originally it was meant to premiere in October of 2010, but because of all the rewrites and the additional shooting, it got pushed all the way to our now anniversary April 15th date. Mm -hmm. Ooh, what a mess. A mess, honey. A suit, like a hot poopoo mess. And strike three, finally, for me, is that this is the first time in Scream franchise history we get CGI knives. Knives! Why? Why? The entire series y'all had been using retractable blades mm -hmm. 
and like i get like oh a new decade Maybe we have this technology available to us i do you think it was cheaper or do you no. think it was, no i feel like it was more labor intensive and post to put in all these cg knives but like i feel like you could have used prop knives on set and then if it looked bad you could have enhanced them in post or you could have done well whatever that's beside the point regardless i i was not a fan of i mean it doesn't look bad i'm just me and you are practical queens like we we like practical effects i love practical effects <clears throat> and that's what i associate with scream so it's really unfortunate that they do that it doesn't pull me out i i feel like you can notice it quite a bit if like you're looking for that fucking knife that just kind of stinks. I prefer practicality. We still get some pretty bloody events, especially towards the ending when we get the wonderful reveal. But, uh, you know, go off, sis. <laughs> it's there. Are you ready for the movie? Let's get into it. So we open with uh, Sherry and Trudy, two high school girls who are... Yeah, it's a cold open. So we always open with a couple of high school girls. Yeah. They're, they're talking, one's talking to ran, some rando on Facebook who we think might be Channing Tatum. Uh-huh. It, it might, ends up to be. Uh, they both get brutally attacked by Ghostface. And surprise, it's not really the cold open. It's stab it's six. Seven. Stab six, because the next one is <laughs> stab five. Stab seven. Jesus Christ, I'm already lost. See, <laughs> and that it, so these cold opens are so fun. You can tell that they're like, you know what? These fuckers are expecting this crazy ass cold open. So we're gonna give them not one, not two, but three fucking cold opens. So we get Lucy Hale and Shannon Greams doing uh, Sherry and Trudy stab six surprise. Rachel and Chloe, who are Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell, who are supposed to be watching stab six. That's mm-hmm. referencing itself. I, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need like a timer every time we have to talk about it's referencing itself. We get two young women talking about re- self-referential horror, that postmodern mm-hmm. meta shit. Yes, it's essentially it's- us watching a horror movie. <laughs> and we get a fake out. It's Kristen Bell who goes to stab Anna Paquin because why? Because you talk too much during the movie. Stab seven, and then it's actually the real opening hopefully were you expecting it to change again because i kind of low-key yes and i remember <laughs> when i first watched this i was low-key annoyed i was like when is the fucking movie gonna start but i get it that was the point <laughs> we get our real opening our real life situation with jenny and marnie who are watching from woodsboro and jenny tries to play play a prank on marnie calling her and trying so apparently every Ghostface voice. Ghostface, which is on an app. So we have <laughs> to talk about that. Yeah, they were obviously like they're trying to make this a new, like I said, new decade, new rules. So there's new technology now to be incorporated into the script, into the movie. So does it feel forced for you? A little bit, yeah. It, feel, because- it feels forced among other things that I want to touch on in our day section of this. But yes, this feels forced. Like for sure. New technology. We're 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 cool and hip. Because it the past iterations I never felt like well, okay. I whoop, 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 whoop. before I say that I will take that back. Because yes, the phones are 
they are extremely important to the Scream franchise. They are what gets this rolling. So Mm -hmm. I can see the apps. It was also the early 2000s. Who wasn't having stupid apps for like, oh, look me watch this drink this beer. Or look how realistic this lighter (laughs) is. So I I can kind of see it. but Marnie tries to play a prank on her and all of a sudden uh, Jenny gets threatened over the phone and we get our real ghost face appearance. How'd you feel about the first chase scene? I thought it was good. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a great first chase scene and she definitely put up a good fight Mm -hmm. um, trying to get away from him. So I was, I was, she has a high IQ, you asshole. (laughs) That's right. So I, I mean, I love it. Like it, like Kevin Williamson script combined mm-hmm. with Wes Craven's directing. It was a solid like first chasing, first op- not first opening, but like an actual start <laughs> to the actual film. We get our, this movie. Just get ready for us to talk about it. It's gonna self reference itself multiple times. We get mm-hmm. a reference to Tatum in the first movie, and she gets killed by the garage door. Via garage door, just like... By the garage door. Well, half, sort of. Like, it, it's what kind of stops her, and then he pulls her in and slashing gashes and rips another hole in her ass. <laughs> but yeah, so, like, we're gonna have to put a counter up or something, like, get started, because it, it's gonna, like, it, it's almost it's Scream. Eat Bitch is a remake of Scream. But... Mm-hmm. That was the whole point because at this time was it was at the ending of this influx of all those remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, House of Wax, Hills Have Eyes. That it, Friday like, the Thirteenth. We're gonna get into it because it's in the fucking script. Like it's this is like the old like this is the mecha meta of <laughs> of like self referential scream horror. Like this is the ultimate bitch. Like it's even referencing itself at this point. It really is. It's wonderful so once we get our cold open we get title card we then find out it's 10 years since the known woodsboro massacre sydney prescott our love our only our goddess neve campbell she's got a point she's an icon she's a legend and she is the moment now come on now act a full girl act a full (laughs) (laughs) anyways it's no it's the anniversary of the Woodsboro Murders, and uh, Nev Campbell has, um, she's on a book tour. She's written a book, Out of Darkness. And so she's come back to the famous, well, not sort of famous Woodsboro um, on her book tour to do first stop on her press tour, which is a big deal. It's her returning to her hometown where these tragic events occurred. It's very traumatic, according to Kirby. Uh, it's I think it's such a neat mechanism, and I it makes sense to me. It doesn't feel forced. I am I'm on board. I would absolutely get out of darkness. I almost got a copy at Monster Palooza a couple. I of remember ago. we kind of should have got it, but yeah, it, it's it's a hundred percent believable because that's essentially what happens in our society when when mm-hmm. someone is highly publicized for something that happens uh, for a tragic event that happens in their life. Everybody wants to know about it. So they either do like an Oprah special or they write Capitalize a book. on it. Yeah, exactly. They capitalize on it. So I, it, it's 100% believable. Oh, absolutely. We also find out about our other part of our trio. Dewey and Gail are now wonderfully married. Hooray. Dewey is now the town sheriff. Yay, we love a promotion. <laughs> and now Gail is the sheriff's wife, essentially, because her... <laughs> <laughs> her book career is kind of fizzled out because she's got writer's block, which is what happens to a lot of artists. You know, you get stuck in a rut. 
I feel like, so I understand that her character, it makes sense for her character to be completely fucking bored with Woodsboro, mm -hmm. wanting to do something with her life. But I, they're trying to create a red herring aspect out of her because everyone in this movie has a motive because it's great. Yes. We know it, but it's very overplayed in this film. They really push her aggression and like her jealousy of Sydney. And I have no fucking idea what to write. It's just, it's, it's a lot, even for Gail. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like, like many other things in this film, it seems forced and mm -hmm. they force the red herring of Gail. They, mm -hmm. and we're going to get a lot, we're going to touch on it as we move along with the other characters, but literally every single character is a suspect. Everybody's a suspect. <laughs> uh, so we also get introduced to Sydney's publicist, Rebecca Walters, played by Alison Brie. And I love her. She's essentially supposed to be our Gail headstrong mm -hmm. that she doesn't let anything stand in her way you're gonna see a lot of repeats of everybody mm -hmm. she thinks she's a gale until she faces the actual gale mm -hmm. so sydney decides to do to do her first stop on her book tour and she stops at this wonderful little cafe while she's there we do get everybody intervening Dewey comes to the scene of the crime uh, to tell her that she wrote such a great book. Uh, he tells her that we have a suspect that might be connected to the murders that happened to Marnie. He tra they he tracked the cell phone to her location. Mm-hmm. And the location of that phone is inside of her trunk with a bunch of bloody posters. Yeah, it's in the trunk of her rental, according to Sydney. And yeah, it's a rental <laughs> <laughs> from rent a car. Um, <laughs> In the trunk is like a bunch of uh, copies of Sydney's book and promotional posters for a tour. And then there is a ghost face mask, some gloves, a knife, and like a cell phone. Incriminating evidence. Yeah, it that feels that felt forced. That didn't. Who put it in her trunk and during the day? Like, and it, it's it's a. And did, did you all just like bring a bucket of blood with you and splatter it all over? Like, it it just it just felt a little out of place. I feel like that was one of the rewrites that we got. Oh, absolutely. I feel like we missed a chunk somewhere <laughs> and they're just like, whatevs. But while this is happening, we get introduced to our new cast of characters. We get mm -hmm. Sydney's cousin, Jill Roberts, who is dealing with the betrayal of her, like her ex-boyfriend, uh, Trevor. Trevor's mm -hmm. his name. Tre <laughs> get out of my house. Who <laughs> We get introduced to Trevor and we also get introduced to one of the best characters to come out of this this new film is Kirby, played by Hayden Panettiere. Yeah, she's essentially the film's Randy. She's, I feel like she's a mix of Tatum and Randy. Yeah, that's true, because she's got, like, the know-how know and knowledge of Randy, but, like, the sassiness and, like, effervescence of Tatum. <laughs> Effervescence. We also got introduced to Olivia, who she's just her neighbor and their friends. Like that's all. She's you need um. She's the TNA of the movie. Yay! The, TNA of the movie. Uh, they uh, get creepy phone calls. Who they think is Trevor, and it's Ghostface asking them the classic, the favorite. What's your favorite scary movie? Bambi. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and this happens early in the morning. Jill gets in the car with Kirby. And they're talking about, oh, Kirby says, uh, Trevor called me last night. Apparently it's like a thing. And Jill, she doesn't want Olivia to know. So she's getting in the car. As soon as Olivia gets in the car, she's like, so Trevor called me last night. <laughs> and so like, obviously it's so weird because they keep mentioning Trevor and like this awful thing that he did, but it's, it's, it's mentioned, like it's touched on later. Like they explain what happened, but it's nothing really. And it kind he of- cheated on her. It, 
Oh yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's he's just not a likable character. <laughs> From the he's jump, not a character. He's an outline of a character. <laughs> he's a shell. <laughs> Are you empty inside? Damn, <laughs> the kill, bitch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the girls all got, are all going to school and they all get the calls. We get another call from Ghostface and they also discuss, so have you seen her? The angel of death. And I think it's, a, I, I would absolutely call Sydney the, the angel of death. I don't, I mean, come on. Kirby made a point. It creates perfect tension. And I love that. They're all aware that she's famous. I like her. And she's the reason why I like horror movies, which is probably the worst thing to say to a victim. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it's also it's very telling of how like and it's it's mentioned in the movie how one generation's travesty is another generation's like lore or like, you know, nobody takes it seriously story, anymore. Yeah. yeah, it's a ghost story. It's like, ooh, this happened in our town. But I was like, bitch, mm-hmm. this is a real travesty, you know, it's really happened. Mm-hmm. It's so separated from the event that they're now able to look at it like this was a joke until it actually mm-hmm. starts happening. Uh, so that's really cool. I really do like that dynamic, and I think it's completely believable. What high schooler is going to give a fuck? Oh, what 100%. high schooler is going to give a fuck? I I think about this almost daily because I see so many fucking high schoolers in my store. But I'm just like I, I was like, God, was I obnoxious that obnoxious when I was that young? But I probably mm-hmm. I'm almost certain I was. So I try to give these kids a break. Uh, so once they get to school, we also get introduced to our other cast of characters, the nerdy ones. Apparently they, to me, are very, very much Jamie Kennedy from the the original. Oh, 100%. They're totally Randy. Uh, we get introduced to Charlie Walker, uh, Rory Culkin, and you immediately suspect he's a bad guy just because he looks like a Culkin, and that's so bad. I'll <laughs> <laughs> tee all shade. Those Culkins do have a look, so... I was about to say, I'm like, am I wrong, though? No, you are not wrong. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but like like we've said, almost everybody in this fucking movie is a suspect. Mm-hmm. We also get introduced to Robbie, uh, who's streaming 24-7 of his high school experience, which is just disgusting because that is also the life that we currently live in. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, uh, Twitter was like the jumping point for that. Like, this is essentially what kids are going to be doing these days, streaming their whole lives. That's what TikTok is. That's what all this is. Did you hear about that kid on Twitch who broke a world record for continuous streaming of his whole life for, I think, maybe like a month or two, and he's still going? No, and nobody cares. I would thank you. I was just about to say, like, I don't care. <laughs> I do not care. But we get introduced to all these characters. They go to high school. Doesn't matter because that's when everything starts convulging. Because back at the police st- uh, uh, station, that's what they're mm-hmm. called. At the police station, we also get introduced to our other characters, Deputy Judy Hicks, who's just Dewey. But I love her. I love her character. We also get introduced to Anthony Perkins and Ross Haas, who are just two other body counts, but they're played by wonderful actors for cameos. They're almost like the two deputies from Halloween 5 with the music. Oh my god. (laughs) Because they're like the comedic relief, essentially. They really are. Um, but yeah, a uh, new cast of characters that we're getting introduced to, and they really push the red herring narrative on Deputy Judy Hicks, like oh, to the point yes. where it's just so blatant and in your face. I'm just like, you know, it's just not going to be her because you're pushing it so hard. They do it for everybody. Mm-hmm. But while at the station, we get more of the dynamics established. We get 
we get to know that Gail Weathers cannot stand Judy Hicks. Mm-hmm. Because Judy Hicks is trying to get up all in the pants of Dewey. She, she wants Dewey's dick for sure. Like, She's bitch, giving him her lemon bar. Uh-huh. She wants to give him her lemon bar. so she's all over dewey's dick clearly gail knows this so she's not threatened by her so gail storms into the police station because she knows that sydney's there correct yeah yeah yeah. they had to take Mm -hmm. sydney down to the police station for questioning and she's having trouble writing so what else she's gonna do she's gonna do what gail weathers does best she's gonna investigate these murders because why she wrote the book on this So yeah, she heads down to the police station because obviously she's friends with Sydney too and she's concerned about her well-being. And Dewey tells her not to get involved. Well, I mean, I can kind of see both sides. I can, uh, Dewey is the sheriff the fighting. now. The girls are fighting. Dewey is the sheriff now. He has a title. He can't play like, you know. Devil's advocate here. Yeah, no. and just let anybody into while he's technically... interviewing you know interviewing a victim or a potential suspect or whatever you want to call it so he has to like kind of draw that line but i also feel like we're reading way too much into this because the script was garbage mama this is garbage so she decides to go rogue since dewey won't allow her on the investigation and judy hicks is busy giving her lemon bars and your lemon bars (laughs) taste like ass i bet they do taste like ass she's a fucking psychopath uh, the girls come into the office and they get interviewed. They're worried that it's probably going to be with them. So they all have to go under police investigation and are probably going to be followed, but it's fine. From there, Sydney decides to stay with Jill and her aunt Kate, who, in my opinion, underdog for comedic genius in this film. <laughs> and I can't wait to touch up on her. <laughs> but uh, while they're there, we get our wonderful scene of Kirby and Jill talking about her and discussing like, oh, I bet she's got so many scars. Nobody asked me about my scars. <laughs> I love her mom and it makes sense for Jill to be a psycho too. Yeah, it really does because uh, clearly her mother has feelings about Sydney's victimhood and notoriety of said victimhood. And clearly she feels left out because she grew up in you know an abusive household as well and she has scars but nobody asked about her scars because nobody's (laughs) trying to kill her bitch everybody's got trauma everybody's got trauma your trauma does not make you any more special than than me or sydney bitch sit down in the chair sweetie we are going to therapy today go to therapy bitch Jill and Kirby decide to stay over, have a slumber party. You know what? Who cares if there's a murder out there? We're girls. We're fine. Olivia decides to not join in the festivities, and she's across the street. And I love this device of her being her neighbor. Because I actually really do like this sequence. Oh, yeah. It's a great Mm -hmm. sequence. It's a great kill in my opinion mm-hmm, i think so too kirby and jill are having a summer party and they're what were they watching, watching shauna again? the dead thank you i was like i know they're watching a very specific movie so they're watching shauna the dead fantastic movie by the way if nobody's seen it i feel like most people have seen it but please watch it because we'll probably cover it at some point i love that they're watching like a zombie comedy like a dark <laughs> while comedy. all of this is happening yeah um 
Yeah, so they're having their little sleepover and, and they decide to call Olivia and play, and it's Jill doing a terrible version of Ghostface. What's your scary? She sounds like, uh, what's her name from? Scariest Places on Earth. What's you your favorite use, scary movie? You will use any excuse to bust out that voice, bitch. I will give any excuse to bust out any accent, any voice. I am there for it. But they're on the phone. So yeah, they're on the phone and obviously Olivia realizes it's it's Jill. So they're they're kicking, they're having a little conversation on the phone. And this is for this is where we get our, our TNA. Olivia starts puts her phone on speaker and she starts getting undressed. We get a second phone call. Yeah. So while this is happening, they're having the conversation, we get a second phone call on Jill's phone. And it says that Trevor's calling. And so um Kirby's like, oh, let me take this. And so she answers the phone. She's like, Kirby, or sorry, Jill's screaming all phone calls from past relationships at this moment. Can I take a message? <laughs> she has the best lines. She really does. And she delivers them so well. Obviously, it's not Trevor on the phone, it's Ghostface. And we can start to play the game. It's effective because I feel like this is the first time in the movie up till this point that the ghost face like exchange is it becomes effective because in the cult open i feel like it was so overplayed that you just didn't fucking care at that point or like just start Mm -hmm. the movie this one in my opinion is genuinely scary just building the tension of kirby Mm -hmm. talking to them at the same time they're all communicating trying to figure what's going on and of course he's like i'm in the closet and gay didn't uh, (laughs) (laughs) kirby tries to open it and surprise bitch he wrong closet or you can pack your things and leave there's the door there's the door bitch and he fucking goes in and murks the fuck out of olivia yeah he's actually in olivia's closet burst out of that motherfucker like it was coming out to a pride parade pride parade <laughs> and like you said on, girls. olivia Do you like believe he, in love <laughs> he fucks olivia up and she puts up she tried to put up a fight she's a skinny little 90 pound girl and i'm sorry she couldn't match ghostface but he fucks her up she like he swings at her she uses her hand to block it the knife goes through her hand which is one a great effect well, even though it was cgi it looked great and then, um, and then he, my favorite part was like he like kicked her into the dresser, and she like Ugh. kicked it really hard. It's like, really they, aggressive. It's a really like f- like fist fight essentially. And then he finally like guts her, and then throws her out the window so that because Kirby and Jill are watching from across their neighbors, so they're watching Which from across I the way. Just builds this to a. Di- it's obviously an observation on this hardcore area that we're in in horror in 2011 Mm -hmm. everybody's super mega violent torture porn is key and they talk about it multiple fucking times in this Mm -hmm. movie but i think if this is your reaction to it i think it's effective because slashers are in my opinion are really hard to sell especially now oh bitch uh, there's mass shootings every fucking week i've got a virus that's trying to kill me um so as having some guy chase me around with a knife, in my opinion, not as scary, scary anymore. But this death gives it's genuinely creepy having to have the girls watch and witness all of this and this brutal fucking murder because he chucks that girl through the window and displays her like she's a rag doll. Yeah, because Sydney hears the girl screaming, so she runs upstairs and she goes and sees what's happening. And you get this really great shot of Sydney reacting and it you can tell it brings it back yeah it totally took her back to 
being in the being the victim again and having mm-hmm. to fight for her life and oh my god now this fucking like it's 16, back 17 year old is across the way getting killed and so she jumps into fight mode and that's why we love sid she's mm-hmm. a fight you're a fighter you're a fighter sid <laughs> not even just for herself but for other people mm-hmm. she runs over and unfortunately she doesn't get there in time Olivia is got her intestines spilled out on the bed, and bl- it literally there's blood everywhere. It's a yeah, blood they go hard. They go hard. And we get the call, and it is just the perfect indication of Sydney as a character. How she answers this phone call because Sid don't play no fucking games. She's done this three fucking times. The minute mm-hmm. that phone call rings, she picks it up. What she <laughs> like? like like what can you say? What yeah. can you say? That's she gonna already knows what's 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 started. The wheel mm-hmm. has been put into motion. She knows like okay, we thought we were done. No, it's round four, bitch. Mm-hmm. It's round four, and it's I think it's excellent because she doesn't play any games. She immediately knows like you're just some fucking coward who's trying to cause some mess. And here I have to deal with all the repercussions of everything. And I think She's it's really like, excellent. You're just like another fucking psychotic fan who takes his love of horror movies way too far mm-hmm. but i will say the at this point with the calls they get really fucking gruesome because he describes that i'm gonna slit your eyelids open so you can watch everybody as they kill them and holy Which was shit great. it yes. really painted a vivid picture and it really it kind Kills. of let the audience know like this is a like we said this is a new decade this is a new this is our new killers it's an, almost an entire new cast like we are going for the jugular here. We are mm-hmm. upping the ante. We tr- they got to raise the stakes. It's mm-hmm. a whole new time period. But uh, Jill tr- tries to rush over and tries to save Olivia. Of course, Ghostface comes back and the killer, tr- they get a quick shuffle and uh, Jill gets injured in the whole mess. And of course, Trevor shows up out of nowhere because we have to have a callback to the original. It, it was so Billy Loomis. So Billy Loomis. Yeah. From there, we go to the hospital, <clears throat> and I love Rebecca. She's already trying to churn this shit out. Wow, fuck me, wow. This, yes. no one could have predicted this. I can't wait. And she's trying to sell Sydney on, the, we got the Today Show. We've uh-huh. got this. And all those sad little pricks that you call fans will have another thing to look forward to. And and like her her uh, book agency wants to lock her in for another book and all, the, like, all this great stuff. Like She just sees, it's seriously like a Looney Tunes moment where she just has dollar signs over her eyes like, this bitch she's like oh i just i i fucking hit the jackpot before we continue on and talk about the demise of rebecca because sydney just ends up firing her ass but yeah. before we come back i have to address one of my favorite scenes when this gal weathers meets the old gal weathers <gasps> at the bookstore oh yeah we totally like glaze over that like it's iconic not- moment it's not important to the storyline. You're not really missing anything if we don't have it. No. But it is my favorite interaction in the whole movie. That that had to have been Kevin Williamson all, all right there. Oh, that beat for beat, it feels like his, his brain. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. We get Rebecca trying to geek out and talk to Gail Weathers. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to just... just praise her but it goes she's trying to praise her as well as like sell herself to gail because she swears that she could be useful to gail weathers and and while she's doing this she inevitably puts her foot in her mouth and (laughs) and to which gail were my 90s (laughs) literally every single word out of her mouth is a backhanded compliment because 
Rebecca, she talks about how you're old, essentially. You're an uh -huh. old hag. And how your marriage <laughs> to Deputy Riley is just a movie. You guys would never be together. Why would you be with him? Mm -hmm. Oh, digging a hole, digging myself out. Um, do you have any plans to refurnish your tarnished brand? <laughs> and then Gail, I I don't know. I don't know if you know it by heart, but Gail turns around and reads her the house down boots. How about rebrand your face with my tarnished brand? And that's what she's like, oh, okay, gotta go. And gotta she turns go. around and leaves, and Gail's like, yeah, I still got it. I fucking love it. Anytime Gail can bitch someone out, it's a good time for me. I know that you're about 50 pounds overweight, but when I say hurry, please interpret that as move your fat tub of lard ass now! Back to where we were. Sydney fires Rebecca because Rebecca reveals she's never read the fucking book. <laughs> I was just gonna wait for the movie. Can you imagine, like, your agent, your manager, your representative, is not familiar with your work, didn't read your book, probably doesn't even know your life story, only knows what she was able to dig up on Google. That is horrible. And so, rightfully so, Sydney, without a beat, fires her. And it's it's a pretty like satisfying moment in the movie. Um, so Rebecca makes her way out of the hospital since she's leaving and she's in the elevator and she's talking to herself. She's like, she needs me. She'll, she'll come back. She's going to return me. She's they, fucking they psycho. And so she's making her way out and that's when she gets a phone call. And who's on the other line? But Ghostface. But posing as somebody who might want to, you know, do an interview. Come in contact. With yeah, with Sydney. And so at this point, um, Rebecca? Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca has... This sequence was added in later on because her original sequence apparently ended really quickly with him just running at her and stabbing at her and she died. So they added in all of this extra sequence to fill it with more fluff. Oh, I'm glad they did because it's it's a pretty, it's not like the most inventive kill, but I think it was satisfying <laughs> to see her actually like fear for her life because she was kind of an insufferable character. Aren't they all, dear? He chases her in the garage, and I don't really find anything memorable out of the chase scene. I thought the chase scene was well choreographed. I mm -hmm. thought it was well situated. Um, the biggest gripe from it is that I can't believe the door handle broke on her, and that's what fucking ends her life, and he stabs her in the stomach, because what else does Ghostface do? Yeah. Oh, no, actually, what's memorable for me is that Ghostface throws her from the top of the parking structure and it lands in the middle of the press conference that's happening in front of the hospital because everybody knows that Sydney Prescott was attacked and went to the hospital. That's our next sequence. Because once she's murdered, we cut really quick to a conference going on with Deputy Dewey, the, whose uh, janitor sure. is your superior. Dewey. The janitor's still your superior. <laughs> <laughs> They're giving a press conference and here comes Gail Weathers. She knows her shit. Don't you try anything. And she's trying to explain to him, like, uh, is there anything to talk about with these murders? Mm -hmm. um, at this time, we're not currently calling that. We don't know what's going on. And bam. Ooh, this is when we get Rebecca falling from like the seventh story of this huge hospital parking structure. She gets thrown by Ghostface from the top of the parking structure and she lands on one of the news vans. And they make an entrance. Buckle. Talk about a death drop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Rebecca's officially dead. Thank God. I know. After this, we get Gail trying to enlist high school movie fanatics, who are our Charlie and Robbie characters, to try to explain the killer and the 
they're really trying to establish new roles as Scream always does. The first one talked about the rules of a scary movie. Second one talked about the rules of a sequel. And the third one talked about the rules of a trilogy. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're going to talk about this new factor. And the biggest thing about this and that's introduced and is never really played through and feels odd. I don't know if this is Kevin Williamson. If this is Kevin Williamson, I guess it's a tongue in cheek type thing. But when they have their, what's it called? AV club. When they have their AV club and they're talking about these new set of roles, of course, we have to up the body count. We Everything has to be more extreme. Everybody's up in the chopping block. It's a remake. Anything is down for it. But mm-hmm. one of the new roles is also, if you're gay, you're going to survive. And I want to talk about that. They, I felt like, I think you're right. I think it was like a Kevin Williamson tongue in cheek moment. I don't think like it was necessarily like a hard and fast rule for mm-hmm. reboots or remakes or whatever we were talking about here. Cause it, I feel like it doesn't make sense. It just feels like it's a jab and like an in, backhanded insult compliment. Mm-hmm. To... I, think, I honestly think it was very much that I really, I never in this entire time that I've watched this movie, I've never read more into that whole thing as more than a joke. Mm. Okay. No, I can, I can totally see that. I just find it odd coming from a writer who is, queer or gay Mm -hmm. identifying and to have that as one of the roles because I feel like if it was a Kevin Williamson line I feel like it would have been played more referential Mm -hmm. while I feel like this one just kind of feels like it's added in to make like a joke like ha 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 they might be gay so it just feels like that weird 2000s gay panic it's literally like a setup for the joke later with his kill I, I literally think that's all it is and it doesn't pay off it doesn't pay off it doesn't and I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just one of the jokes that Kevin Williamson thought to throw in that didn't really work out. In the I end. guess. Uh, but from here, Charlie deduces that the killer will obviously be making his appearance at this wonderful stab stabathon, stab-a-thon. that these fucking rad ass IAB club and high schoolers do every year. I would love to go to a stabathon. I I really hope that like once we get this whole COVID situation cleared up, I really hope that there's a super fan out there that makes this possible because this would be amazing to go to. This is, it, oh. I feel like this would essentially be like a scream convention because it would be nothing but scream so super good. fans that would go. Mm-hmm. And so I would hundred percent be down for this. But he deduces that it's going to be at Stabathon because this movie is riffing off of remakes. So what would the remake equivalent be of the grand the party? Well, mm-hmm. like, where does they, where do they head to from here? They go to the party. So what's the Absolutely. party in this movie is Stabathon. And uh, fuck this police force, Dewey. You're kind of awful because this party, <laughs> it, it's going to happen that night. And for some reason, Charlie's not wanting to tell Gail or Sid where everything's at. And I love it because she calls it a circle jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, where's this circle jerk going to take place? That's what good pussy sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) And they try to continue it. And it's just, I were like, oh, it's it's like an exclusive thing only and invites only. It's it's ridiculous. I know it's a plot device, so whatever. But so cut to that rest of the night and the kids all decide, you know what? We're going to go to the Stabathon. Gail decides to go to the Stabathon. And can we talk about this setup for this fucking rad movie, mar- like this movie marathon? This sick-ass barn. Did you 
did you ever catch Tatum, like the fake dummy to the left of the barn? Yeah. And it's so cool. Yeah. Kudos to the for putting together the Stabathon because we saw the details and they were great. It's um, total Rocky Horror, like midnight yeah, show vibes. Yeah, definitely. Like nothing but like nerdy people or like super fans who want to come and get drunk and have a good time. But like, it's this is why I I miss going to conventions because it's great to surround yourself with like-minded people who you can like, regardless of what the topic is or what you guys are there for, that you can like connect with other people mm-hmm. for something that like a shared interest. And so- that's essentially what the Stabathon is. It's a bunch of super fans coming together and having a great time. Which is, I feel like it's morbid to have the Stabathon in Woodsboro. Like that's oh, some yeah. fucked up shit. But I can see why because, they also want it secret. Especially because in the movie, this is based on, well, essentially the first two movies are based on the actual events of, in the movie mm-hmm. of Woodsboro. So it's kind of fucked up that there's like this weird cult following. But I mean, in society, there's always been some weird sick following, like whether it's for serial killers or whatever. Like mm-hmm. somebody was always willing to follow something that's generally frowned upon. These people are sick. These are sick <laughs> people. I mean, people consider us sick people because we love horror movies. T. Well, while here, Gail decides to try to do some more investigative journalism and setting up cameras everywhere because it's the new century. We gotta have cameras everywhere. And while she's documenting, she catches some shit and we get a fight scene between Ghostface and her in the barn. And we get a fake out of her getting stabbed. And you knew that I I was hoping that they would kill one of the main characters, to be quite honest. You need that elevation. And you know they're not gonna kill Gail. They don't have the balls to do it. I hope they kill somebody in the new one. Talking to you, directors. Might be Sydney. Sydney's next on the chopping block. Someone's gotta die. But yeah, there Gail heads to the Sabathon. She's setting up her security cameras to hopefully grab some footage of something that's gonna happen. She makes it back to her car where she's got her laptop set up and she can see the live feed. And while she's watching the live feed, go a real ghost face is there among the many other people who are just dressed as ghost face and he's turning around all her cameras. So she's like, what the fuck? She calls Zuby, you need to get down here. The real ghost face is here. Doesn't really believe her. She hangs up on him. He decides to believe her, turns around, makes his way uh, to Stabathon while she goes in to go check on her cameras. And when she does, she realizes that somebody, or excuse me, Ghostface has set up his own cameras. And so she's like, what the fuck? And then in comes Ghostface. They have their epic showdown where she gets stabbed, you said? Stabbed in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. She gets stabbed in the shoulder. And then Dewey busts in. He shoots at Ghostface. This is what breaks up the whole party. And then from there, we make our way to the hospital. Jill's house. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry, made- we cut to Jill's house. Well, mm-hmm. Gail goes to the hospital, but from in the movie, we cut to Jill's house. Because this movie loves to self-reference itself. This is the party scene where Ga- Gail's MO is a, a spy cam. Gail loves a spy cam. Let me put it in the party where the VCR is at. Let me put it in my purse. She loves it anytime, anywhere. This girl has a ridiculous amount of stuff. She was from- so ahead of the trend. She's such a trendsetter because everybody has security mm-hmm. cameras now. T. But back at Jill's house, Sydney discovers that the two cops that were sent there to guard the house are doing a terrible job. Because while she's there, why did... Okay, I I need to, like, interject. Why did... Interject to myself. Why did Jill's mom go shopping, like, at 10 p.m. at night? Because this film is just, like... Like we said, they want to set everyone up to be a suspect or a red herring. So... For whatever reason, it's not really uncommon if you're like a working mom 
or whatever to go shopping at night yeah but the fact that this from what i gather is a stay-at-home mom there's no excuse especially with murders going on in town there's no thank excuse you. thank <laughs> there's you there's no excuse for her to be shopping at night well that's why she dies because she's stupid <laughs> true <clears throat> but they try to f- sid immediately knows ghostface is gonna be here ghostface is gonna be here because mm. the cops aren't there she starts deducing that something's wrong and of course joel's mom decides to say i'll be right back Everybody knows you're not supposed to say that. I'll be right back. And she gets stabbed in the back through her mail slot when she's guarding herself up against the door. It's pretty lame. It is. It's almost like laughable. Very. Because like Ghostface is chasing them around the house. He, they they're like, oh, did you lock the front door? Of course, dumb bitch did not lock the front door. No. Never mind that a murder occurred across the way. I- but uh yeah so she didn't lock the door they ran to the the front door ghost piece was already about to come in when they slammed the door shut and um what's the aunt's name i just call her jill's mom okay jill's mom is trying not lauren graham (laughs) she's trying to like make sure the door is closed from the bottom and then that's when ghostface decides to like use the mail slot and sticks the knife in and i feel like that would have been the first thing i would have thought about yeah, it, it was fucking it was kind of a weak kill it's probably like the lamest kill of the movie it was a very weak kill and while all that's happening we not while it's happening it's technically before whoops we get murders of adam brody who gets rushed up behind ghostface when he goes to check up on uh anthony perkins he gets stabbed in the back because that's what ghostface knows how to do and we get a pretty pretty memorable kill from uh anthony anderson he gets stabbed in the head which was apparently copied not copied Craven was really inspired by a documentary that talked about, yeah, an yeah, actual actually incident. occurred, which was crazy to me because I didn't know that upon first watching the movie. I, I When I first saw Anthony Anderson's kill, I was like, this is the weird. Hell? I didn't enjoy it. It was like funny. Like they tried to make it funny with him cracking a joke. And it, it was just, for me, felt out of place in the movie. And it wasn't until doing research for today's episode that I realized Wes Craven based it on something that actually happened. And I was like, what somebody got mm-hmm. stabbed in the forehead and then still was like alive and fighting for their life until the end like it's it, it's crazy that this really happened and it's sad but at the same time it's such it takes you out of it for a second yes it's so out there that uh-huh. it really does it takes you out of the movie for a second and i don't know if that's due to anthony anderson's like acting in that moment and we get that i think it's a great line fuck bruce willis and then he dies but it does feel out of place it doesn't feel like it's been within the ghost uh ghost face been within the scream universe mm-hmm. so i can see why on further watches i i enjoy it i think it's fine but on an, an initial first watch i can see why it's like this doesn't this doesn't feel right it was drawing for me when I first watched it. And quite honestly, like the first couple times, like it's there now. Like I still don't really, doesn't knowing this fact now doesn't make me appreciate the kill anymore, but I'm just like, oh, okay. That's interesting that that really happened. I love that for you. <laughs> Sydney deduces that Jill's no longer there. She's probably hanging out with Kirby and she. Well, she sees it on her laptop that she, uh-huh. that she's headed to the Stabathon. And once officer Hicks gets there because plot device sydney then drives to kirby's house to try and figure everything out and surprise this is going to be our grand finale so we're going to kirby's house they all head here after the stabathon so the stabathon broke up because gail ruined it all by getting stabbed boo so they had to boomer 
<laughs> so they head to Kirby's house because Charlie's like, nobody's going to ruin my Stabathon. We need to continue this. So he pops in like whatever stab movie they had left off on. And this is where this is where we start setting it up for the finale. So Kirby's there, Charlie's there, Jill's, Jill's there. there, and surprise, Trevor makes a surprise appearance, and Kirby is very bothered by this. She was like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Well, Jill texted me. You told me to come over here and meet you guys." And Jill's like, "What? I, I didn't text you. Like, I don't even know where my phone is. Where's my phone?" She does some very shitty acting here, in all honesty. Like, I don't believe her for one second that she didn't text him. That is some bullshit, Mama. I would hundred percent believe that you would text him because that sounds toxic as hell. <laughs> Stupid. And they have to be separated because it wouldn't work as a horror movie if they didn't get separated. So Robbie decides to go be drunk and go do his drunk thing outside. Mm -hmm. Jill and Trevor do their, I don't know, white, their like hetero bickering, ruining a party bullshit. And Kirby and Charlie try to get like super cute. And of course, Trevor fucking interrupts. But while that's happening, Robbie is live streaming while he's drunk, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's early YouTube. It's what everybody does. And while he's streaming, he... <laughs> gets murdered by Ghostface, but we get the setup for that stupid gay line. Yeah. And I I never saw it as a joke. That's why I find it so interesting that you see it as like a punchline. Mm -hmm. I see it as like weird and stupid because before he gets murdered, he tries to tell Ghostface, wait, 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 I'm gay. I'm gay. You can't kill me. I'm gay. And of course, Ghostface murders him. But he pa I feel like he Ghostface pauses for a second and then he's like, if, if it helps... And then Ghostface is like, nah, and he stabs him anyways. So that's why I always felt like it was a joke because he says like, no, 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 no I'm gay. Because clearly he's not gay. He's just saying that he's gay. So that way Ghostface will spare him because apparently that's the new rule. Gay people don't die. Spoiler alert, they do. It doesn't stop you guys from hurting us in real life anyway. Woo! Boom, and there it there is. we go. She bumped <laughs> off. Um, so I, I always saw it as a joke. I never saw it as like, a, a new rule or it just doesn't sort of pay off and it feels gross it's my biggest gripe with this movie it just like it feels like stupid it feels homophobic and it just feels like why like it's so unnecessary no it's totally fair um it doesn't belong and it doesn't land like the setup was not worth the, the payoff it wasn't. It really wasn't. Robbie's dead, so it doesn't fucking matter. Sydney <laughs> arrives at the house to leave with Jill, and then they're both chased by Ghostface. <gasps> oh, never saw that one company coming. Uh, Sydney evades the killer. She does that wonderful fake out. She's super quick. Sid knows immediately what to do. She's like, no, nah, I've done this game. She tries to call Dewey to come on over, and uh, as Sydney tries to find Jill, uh, Jill ho goes off, and then Sydney finally finds Kirby, and then they try and barricade themselves in the basement and we get one of my favorite sequences in the mm -hmm. whole movie Hayden Panettiere is like my star winner for this whole movie yeah this is the scene that was played in the trailer which oh, the trailer was amazing as well so good um but yeah this is the infamous scene where they're on the phone with Ghostface and it's essentially like harkening back to part one where you know, he's they're playing a game and he's questioning Kirby's knowledge on horror because if you haven't gathered, Kirby is the know-all for horror and horror history in this She's movie. So cool. She's so he's uh he starts She's distracting him. Yeah. yeah. She's trying to distract him while Sydney tries to find Jill. Thank you. And so he starts he she doesn't even let him finish the question. He goes, name the famous remake what well, I was going to give you the question. So oh, while yeah. he's questioning her, he quest he gives her uh, 
I love it. I love his. I love this interaction. Hayden Panettiere does so well because uh, I think Craven is so smart because even to this day, no one has seen the actor who does the voice for Ghostface. <laughs> and every time they film, they're actually on the phone. And I feel his voice still gives me chills. I don't care how many times I've seen this movie. There's parts in the movie that genuinely give me chills, and he still does a fantastic fucking job. Mm-hmm. But during the sequence, he does grill her, and he starts to ask her. Uh, One more question. What's Jason's weapon? A machete. You seem to know your genres. Michael Myers. Butcher knife. Leatherface. Chainsaw. And he continues to keep asking her. And the question and the part that we love the most goes... All right, Kirby. Then it's time for your last chance. Name the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which the villain... Halloween. Uh, Texas Chainsaw. De- Dawn of the Dead. Hells Have Eyes. Omnivale Horror. Uh, last House on the Left. Friday the 13th. The Nightmare on Elm Street. My Bloody Valentine. When a Stranger Calls. Prom Night. Black Christmas. House of Wax. The Fog. Piranha. It's one of those, right? Right? And it's just, it's so beautifully delivered and it's the perfect way to in my opinion drag all the other remakes that have been coming out at this time period yes it is probably my favorite scene from the entire movie and Hayden Panettiere just the most amazing job of delivering it Mm -hmm. um, because it's just like a close pretty like medium close-up shot on her and she's distressed and she just delivers the line so well and her whole character arc was just amazing. It's like bring cul- her back. essentially culminating, essentially culminating in this scene. Please bring her back. I would love Hayden Panettiere back, but it's, it's yeah, because unfortunately this is her demise. It's so shitty because you've been following her character, and she's one of easily the most likable character in this whole new cast. You love her, you want her to survive, and you think that she just fucking crushed it because that monologue is perfection and we get a fake mm-hmm. out and she saves charlie because charlie's tied up fuck man she stabs her yeah, right quite good she's untying him he like pulls on a knife and like boom right in the gut and he's like after three years after three fucking years now you sorry four years now you now you recognize me or whatever and he gets out all his like pent-up aggression and it's almost like toxic it's a little a little Very hard toxic. to watch in honesty it's it sucks it sucks and he also gives her it's kind of disturbing uh it's not as fast as it is in the movies i know i know it's almost over like fuck that sucks it's very real because they're both like these horror geeks so when like when it's Mm -hmm. when they're actually being killed or doing the murdering it's like a weird Mm -hmm. alternate reality for them that they're actually living these horror movies so i think that's why they threw in that line of yeah it's not as quick as it happens in the movies i'm sorry i'm sorry this is taking so long it's just one of those wonderful like yes scream references everything and it's aware of everything but this is one of those little small observations that i feel like really just like gives it that extra edge because it's it's disturbing and it's it's a simple line and it makes me feel so bad Mm -hmm. for kirby but it's revealed charlie is the bad guy sydney tries to do her dash but unfortunately she's stabbed again by by another ghost face (gasps) there's two i would have never known and it's revealed jill were you gagged? Were I you was gagged. gagged. And that's mostly because there were so many fucking red herrings and so many suspects. Like, it really could have been anybody. 
So the fact that it was Jill and it was somebody that the movie followed so closely, it, it was gagged. And her whole mm-hmm. motive behind it was even more gag-worthy. I really liked the route they went with it and how Jill was like fame hungry and she wanted to be the new Sydney. Clap if you care. Clap if you you care. I know it's an observation on social media and what this generation deems as important. It's just, (laughs) I was gagged. I wasn't expecting her to be the bad guy. And you're right. The only reason is because they're throwing so many red herrings out there. You're like, I can't even remember who the fuck Mm -hmm. is left. So it's for her motive to be that she wants to be fucking insta famous is disgusting and i hate it which just yeah. like adds to her character i get it whatevs but she gives a wonderful wonderful monologue because sydney's pressuring her and she's like even your friends she's like my friends what world are you living in i don't need friends fans. i need fans it's Ugh, so sick gross. And it, it was definitely a social commentary on like the booming it was booming um social media apps that were booming at the time and it is and it's <clears throat> it, it's it's relevant it works i can absolutely see the stupid bullshit happening it's I, for me sometimes it when i watch it sometimes i feel like it's too forced like ah we know what's up to date you social yeah media freaks. it's almost like and, dating your movie like you won't like mm-hmm. this like this won't be relevant in like two years from now because mm-hmm. technology is moving so quick I know, it, but she does give me <laughs> one of my favorite lines of, what am I supposed to do? Go to college, grad school, work? <laughs> Girl, I feel that. But imagine how tired Same. we are. Imagine how tired we are of it. Jill and Charlie stabbing the shit out of Sydney, leaving her to die. We think she's dead. And <gasps> oh, 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 double cross. The plot thickens. Oh, because they set up Trevor. I forgot. Yeah, I, was I like, forget I was about, about Trevor. Say, we forgot Trevor. Well, he's a forgettable character. He's so forgettable because so, they set him up as to be like the fallout guy. They essentially set him up to be the dad from Scream 1. They're trying to make him be the... The, the Billy. Yeah. Billy. So they're trying to set up Trevor. They kill Trevor. She shoots him in the dick, which is <laughs> pretty fucked up slash poetic. Because she's not the girl you cheat on. So they kill Trevor. They're trying to set Trevor up to be the killer. And meanwhile, they're making Sydney watch all this. And then they start doing the Randy and Stu thing. Well, this is actually after they kill Sydney. So they kill, they think they kill Sydney. And then they start doing the Randy and Stu thing where they're beating each other up, stabbing each other. But they learn from Randy and Stu kill your girl first, then stab each other. Mm-hmm. So they think they kill Sydney. And then Jill turns on. Charlie and ends up really killing him because there can only be one. There can be only one! Everybody loves a soul survivor, baby. Mm-hmm. She's trying to frame more people. She's a smart gal. I will give herself that. But then we get <laughs> we get a really fucking fucked up sequence. And I think it's so funny because you're expecting me to believe that tiny little Emma Roberts, who don't weigh more than my pinky, to like mutilate herself in really fucked up ways. Come on, torture porn. Yeah, that 
was somewhat unbelievable. Plus, I don't know. I mean, granted, she's supposed to be like psychotic in the movie, but I don't know if I would have had the courage to like rip run, your hair out, rip my hair out, scratch my face, run into a knife, throw myself on a glass top table. I would be like, I, I would have been spending the whole night like building up the courage. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm gonna do it now. No, 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 no. Wait. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Go on three. Go on three. One. Why are you moving? One. <laughs> that would have been me the whole night. It's. It, we talked about this in Shopping Mall. I think it's so funny because it's like teeny tiny Emma Roberts. And when they cut to her jumping on the glass, fucking, it's like this 45 year old WWE wrestler <laughs> is just like slamming in. And she sets herself up to be a victim. Dewey and Hicks, of course, make it just in time and they get there. And Jill and Sydney poetically are laying next to each other as a mirror. And it's okay, we get it. We get your thing. And then Dewey does the cheesy little, he takes off his hat and puts it over his heart. In solidarity. Fuck mm-hmm. off. They're bleeding. Get someone. <laughs> so we flash forward to the hospital and which is our new final ending. Because originally we were gonna end there, and that would have been shitty fuck. It kind of would have been, yeah. I'm glad that they added this final showdown because had they ended the movie there and it would have been it would have been too ambiguous. We needed mm-hmm. like a kind of hard and fast ending. Yeah, because that's too ambiguous for Scream. I feel mm-hmm. like that ending wouldn't have fit the formula of past movies. Yeah. So our final scene is going to be, final showdown is going to be at the hospital. And we're in Jill's room and it's Dewey, right? Dewey's there talking to her? Dewey comes in there. And he's talking to Jill and they're kind of recounting the events of what happened the night. And she says, they mentioned Sydney and he's like, well, you know, she might pull through and <laughs> Jill's just like, yeah, what the fuck do you mean Sydney's still alive? I'm surprised she didn't break character there. She's just like, she's like, what the fuck do you mean, Dewey, you little piece <laughs> Don't of you shit? Get it? <laughs> and of course, Jill can't have someone surviving because Gail made it. Dewey leaves her, and this is the worst kept hospital because Jill makes her way, way to Sydney's room. And while she's in her Sydney's room, Dewey goes to talk to Gail because Gail made it out and he slips that she said that Jill Jill told Dewey oh like she knew about Gail getting stabbed so when Dewey talks to Gail about getting stabbed and how Jill knew and, and Gail goes how did she know I got stabbed and uh. that's when it's a like sudden realization for stupid Dewey they're like oh shit like Jill you know it takes Dewey like three extra clicks in order to get it <sighs> deputy Dewey how the fuck did you make it to sheriff then there's no one left. <laughs> yeah, sure. You get the promotion. So Jill decides I'm going to attack Sydney, and they have a pretty stellar showdown. Even though I don't know how fucking Emma Roberts has enough strength to throw Neve Campbell into glass and shit because she's Michael fucking Myers. <laughs> Not only that, she started the whole showdown by beating the shit out of Dewey with a metal. Um, what are they Bed called? Pen. Bedpan. Thank you. And. One, that is the dumbest way to go out. And Dewey always gets the shit end of the stick with the way he's taken down, just like in Scream, what is it, three? One, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) Every single one true. He always gets the shittiest, dorkiest, like, takedowns. I love it. So she, he has been beaten to death with a a bedpan. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is when Jill starts making her way for Sydney and tries to- Again, and then- Gail and Judy come in and try to intervene and Judy's fucking shitty. She somehow loses her fucking gun and she comes out. She's like, don't shoot. Bang, bang. Right <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> she shoots uh, Judy and this is essentially where um, 
Gail and Jill are trying. Well, Gail's trying to like talk Jill out of killing her. Essentially, we can but, join together. Uh huh. What what she's really doing is she's buying time for Sydney to get back at Jill because Sydney comes up behind her with don't tell me what they're called defib defibrillator. Yay! It's a defibrillator. Two points. Um. So she comes up behind her with the defibrillator. And, and do you have I, anything else to say? There you go. Clear. Clear. What? Clear. Clear. And that's how Emma Roberts goes out. No, it's not. She fucking microwaves her fucking head and then she, everything's cool. Everything's great. And you forgot the last rule. Don't fuck with the original. And of course we get our last scare. She gets, gives us her, ah! And Sydney's played this fucking game. Don't even worry. And caps her ass. Very Billy Loomis. It's very Billy Loomis. And while she's dying and bleeding on the floor, everyone on the outside, the media is still reporting that Jill is like the sole survivor and the hero and depicting her as someone that she's not. Yeah, so she essentially still got what she wanted. What a poetic ending. Just like her character in every single movie and show she's been in since. (laughs) She's a bratty character. And that is our conclusion for Scream 4. Roll credits. Wow. Just wow. 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 <laughs> oh, wow. Final thoughts. How do you feel about Scream 4 after we've talked about all the potholes, all the places where it's fucked up, and the really shitty productions? Yeah, so regardless of all of its plot holes and its production problems, I still kind of like hold this movie near and dear to my heart because it's part of one of my favorite horror series, my favorite horror, one of my favorite horror franchises. Um, and it, it, even though it was essentially just like a remake of Scream One, it, it, yes, it harkened back a lot, if not sometimes too much, but it also still brought its own sense of originality to the series. And mm-hmm. so considering all that considering bringing back the original cast and adding some great characters like kirby to the mix um and bringing back wes craven and for the most part kevin williamson i have to give this movie even with all its flaws just for nostalgia and for me liking the series so much i still have to give it like a four out of five <gasps> you cannot come out <laughs> okay Fine, fine. You can have your four out of five, but you can never come after me again. Oh, yes, I can. And I will. No, yeah. Because last episode, you came after me for giving Chopping Mall four out of five. That's because it's fucking Chopping Mall. It's a You know what it's delivering. Whatever. We're not going to argue about this. Anyway, (laughs) I can agree with all of that. I think those are excellent key points and the reasonings why it's a four out of five. Um, For me, there is that nostalgia for me. It... for me, I find it so funny when people are like, let's read into the screen movies because it's very blatant and in front of you. And yeah, it, it like lays it out for you. It really does. I like its dissection of horror at the time. I, it's very on the nose and it's very obvious, but I like that they're talking about it because that time period is, uh, it's so distinct in what it was portraying. And I really like that they decided, you know what, this is going to be our take on it. It holds a great place in my heart because it is Scream. I do love the new characters. I love that they brought everyone back. Um, Even with all of those, I'm going to be just below you just a little bit. I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. Boo! (laughs) Because it's still great. It is still a fun movie. It still has great parts of it. There's a lot of it that needs work. Uh, but 
I can't give it a really high place because I think within the film canon, there's other movies that outweigh this for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Just because I gave this movie 4.5 doesn't mean that it's like on the same caliber as like Scream 1 or even 3 for that matter because I'd love to. <laughs> but, we love 3 for very different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love 3 for very different reasons. But I, I don't know. It, it holds a special place. And I'm excited to see... I'm apprehensive yet excited to see what they do with five. We still don't know if it's like a reboot, a continuation or anything. We don't know anything. No, we don't know anything. So I'm excited to see where they go with it. Me too. I loved it. I'm so happy that we got to talk about this this week. I love these. I love this movie. I love these movies. And it was very exciting. I hope you guys liked. I had a ball. I know we. this is probably our longest episode, but it's fucking Scream. There's a lot you got to cover, y'all. We had a lot to say. We had a lot of things to... You have a lot of opinions of me tonight, Shay. <laughs> <laughs> so for next week, next week's movie, we're diving back into another Carpenter flick. We are going to be talking about the classic, the one and only, technically not because it's a remake, the <laughs> 1982 classic, The Thing. Yes. Yes, we are going back to our Carpenter roots as this is the Carpenter Queens. I know so, I need to touch up my roots. So, <laughs> yeah, you do. So this month's uh, pick is The Thing, which if you haven't seen it, please watch it before your next week's episode. We have a lot to say. I'm excited. I'm excited to get into it because it is a classic Carpenter film. It's so good. But if you want to keep in contact with us and you can follow the dolls on Instagram at the Carpenter Queens, on Twitter at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. You can find me at STFU Ray. And if you enjoyed what you're listening to and you want to keep listening, please subscribe. If you're really enjoying, please give us a rating. Five out of five, please. We are a five star bitch. And if you're really loving us and really want to help us out to be quite honest leave a comment wherever you're getting your podcast really helps us out leave us a rating leave us a comment show us how much you love us my venmo is attached thank you very much but that concludes this week's episode guys i hope you had as much fun as we did and please 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 catch up on next before we uh, um wow words i'm high because i kept hitting my (laughs) little episode Please watch the thing before next week's episode because we're going to have a lot of production notes for next week's episode. Do your homework. Love you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so until we'll, until next week, we'll catch you on the flip side, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, 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 bye. bye.